talk a little bit about uh, dharmic marriage. We've been talking about, in the previous evenings, about softening up and um, a dharmic relationship, a dharmic marriage can be a help in this process of uh, softening up. I think it's uh, an area which is becoming increasingly important since we see more and more in the West the blossoming of a strong lay spirituality side by side uh, with a monastic uh, Buddhist spirituality. Um, so uh, this area uh, needs to be addressed um, probably more than uh, what is being done. Mm, by Dharmic marriage, I don't mean uh, necessarily a legal marriage. I, I, I mean a, a committed relationship, any deeply committed relationship, where either the two spouses are both Dharma practitioners or one partner is a Dharma practitioner and the other one is a being uh, sympathetic and supportive, although he or she is not practicing the Dharma. Mm, this time around, I'll be speaking mostly uh, about the first case where two, uh, the two persons are both practicing, but much of what will be said applies also to the situation where only one person is practicing. Um, also, I do not intend in any way to kind of present a new ideology, uh, like if you are not a monk, you should be married uh, if you want to practice, because simply, uh, among other things, over the years, I uh, have met people who were neither monks nor married, and whose practice seemed to be excellent. And on the other hand, I can think of uh, meeting, uh, you know, well-married people uh, whose practice did not seem to thrive particularly. So I do not intend to generalize or, or you know, to make hierarchies or ideologies. Just, just trying to explore uh, what happens when a situation can be called a dharmic relationship because of the uh, mutual commitment and the commitment to the dharma at the same time. Um, for a person who is in this situation, the first thing I, uh, which we have to uh, uh, observe uh, is that um, the sangha has like two uh, circles, an outer circle and an inner circle. The outer circle is Dharma friends. We're talking about the layperson. Dharma friends uh, with whom we periodically practice, uh, maybe once a week, maybe much more than that. But it's uh, um, people um, 
who are not living with us. Whereas the inner circle is basically the spouse, because the spouse is the person uh, uh, with whom we spend uh, much uh, of our time. We share uh, our living space. And um, so if we uh, are both practitioner, the, um, uh, the first uh, circle, the inner circle, the intimate circle, is basically our spouse in a, in a, in a, in a lay sangha. And then the outer, the outer circle is uh, the Dharma friends. In the inner circle, um, you know, for some time, sons and daughters could also be uh, present. I mean, it may happen. Um, um, usually, it's uh, um, for a short period of time. You know, uh, a marriage can uh, last for long years, and uh, uh, so again, the spouse uh, remains as the, the 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 main dimension in this uh, inner circle of of the sangha. You know, the the, the most frequent and intimate contact uh, and and sharing happens with the spouse and. Uh, um, children leave. Um, so, um, also, um, another thing, I would like to, to see what um, specific positive contribution can come for the Dharma practice um, from you know, a, a relationship from uh, a committed relationship. In other words, uh, I'm not going to talk about uh, problems, relationship problems, and uh, um, because nowadays we have so much in terms of uh, um, psychological aids in, in this area, and so much is being said and done. Uh, just by comparison to a few years ago, there's been so much deepening and articulation of this area that we won't touch it, but we'll be trying to see uh, possible positive aspects which can come from uh, the situation. And the starting point, uh, I think, could be this one. A relationship very easily can become the source for a multiplication of desires and aversions and fears. <laughs> very easily. So what then is needed for a relationship to go into the opposite direction, the direction not of complication and of increase of tension, but rather the direction of increasing simplicity and increasing relaxation. Uh, the opposite of uh, proliferation of, of, of desires. It's very, uh, you know, just having an expectation about what our partner uh, should do or should not do, people he or she should see or not see, and. Uh, um, how much uh, uh, him or her, uh, he or, her, or she should be 
uh, exclusively interested in us and, and not in other people, and on and on. Now, the first, the first thing is, generally speaking, what we might call a double relationship. A relationship uh, of affection for the other person and at the same time a relationship to the Dharma. The, the, uh, uh, the sum, the combination of these two relationships uh, generate, generates um, you know, a basis for this process of softening and simplification rather than uh, complication and hardening. This double, double relationship, uh, double strength. So we, we uh, in this situation, whatever helps in the direction of Dharma, whatever helps uh, my practice and his or her practice is, is regarded as good and, and cultivated and, and fostered. But we also um, can look at uh, more specific areas. Uh, and the first area I would like to look at is the area of trust and acceptance. If um, we reflect on what is uh, human development, we see that because of acceptance and trust on uh, his parents' part, a child grows and develops. Actually, I like to use the traditional Buddhist way of, of, of talking, uh, mind, speech, and body. So a child uh, receives acceptance uh, through the body and affectionate bodily contact, through uh, speech, affectionate uh, uh, speech, uh, and, and, uh, and being in, in, in uh, his parents' hearts. All this is a nourishment uh, which, which uh, generates trust and acceptance uh, in the child for himself and uh, towards the world. Now, a good relationship is as though activates again this level of basic uh, primary uh, trust and acceptance. Again, uh, through the body, through the speech and through the mind or heart, uh, through a tender physical contact and sexuality, through a gentle speech, and through the uh, uh, cultivation of, of uh, the, the mind-heart. In other words, when we feel uh, deeply and primordially accepted in our body, speech, and mind, then this is a powerful trigger for self-acceptance and for acceptance of, of life, of, of, of the world. 
And it's no coincidence that in case um, our childhood um, was not um, happy in terms of, of this kind of nourishment, it's not coincidence that a good relationship can be very healing in this respect, in, in, in uh, uh, re-establishing, or rather in this case, establishing uh, this basic uh, trust and, and acceptance. Now, how do we work in this area um, if we are practitioner, Dharma practitioner? There are two, two channels. One channel is practicing loving kindness, metta, compassion, karuna, and sympathetic joy, mudita. I mean, in addition to the metta practice that we usually do as practitioners, being in a, in a, in a dharmic relationship, we add as an object of, for our metta, mudita, and karuna, our spouse. So we uh, send karuna, when we see that our spouse is suffering, we send, generally speaking, we send uh, loving kindness, and we cultivate mudita, which means rejoicing when our spouse is uh, having uh, positive uh, feelings. This means uh, working at the trust and the acceptance which is already there. This means increasing the acceptance and, and, and the trust which is already there. And this is one, one level, uh, one channel for the work. And then the other channel, the other level is bringing our awareness uh, to whatever is non-acceptance, whatever is resistance, whatever is uh, lack of trust in our relationship. Again, this is an additional practice. We, as practitioners, we practice uh, mindfulness, mindfulness, we practice awareness of, of, of uh, non-acceptance, of, of identification. As practitioners, we do this, but in addition to this, we again add a specific object, which is the area of non-acceptance of resisting in relationship to our spouse. So we make it into a specific practice, both metta practice and, and uh, uh, awareness practice. Uh, strengthening of the acceptance, which is already there, and, and, uh, 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 and contemplation of uh, what is lacking, in order to, again, develop more, uh, more acceptance and more trust. Now, this uh, uh, cannot be uh, underestimated. I mean, this, this um, kind of work 
is absolutely crucial in a, a dharmic relationship. What happens is what we might call uh, a double effect. If I practice as a practitioner, I'm working at my self-acceptance. And while I do this, and because I am doing this, I become more receptive. And becoming more receptive, I receive the acceptance which comes from my spouse. So this strengthens my self-acceptance. At the same time, I am doing the same work towards the other person who will have the same, like uh, self-acceptance being strengthened by my acceptance. So there is a crossing, a healthy crossing of, of uh, acceptance. Mutual acceptance strengthening uh, self-acceptance. Like, for instance, for example, when we realize that our shortcomings for our spouse are less of a problem than they are for us, that they are more accepted by our spouse than they are by ourselves. This is a, a, a very strong, uh, this has a very strong effect in terms of, of our self-acceptance. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a positive circle. We feel more accepted, we accept more, and there is a general opening up to the Dharma, since we both are practicing the Dharma. So, it, 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 you know, it, uh, it's circular in a, in a positive way. Cultivating, cultivating trust and acceptance. Taking the trust which is generated by any good relationship and making it deeper. Remember Ajahn Sumedho uh, says it beautifully when he says, the Dharma is not following the heart, the Dharma is training the heart. So we, we take we take this trust, which is uh, naturally generated by a good relationship, and we, uh, we uh, deepen it to the practice of Dharma. And then, again, circular from the practice of Dharma, it goes back into the relationship. Needless to say that all this has a relaxing and simplifying effect. And we all know how nourishing this is for Dharma practice. You know, if our Dharma practice is just striving, striving, and more striving, uh, our practice is likely to die young. <laughs> And maybe it's okay, so we can start afresh. <laughs> so relaxation, um, true relaxation, 
mind-body relaxation is, is essential and it needs practice and if a good relationship is there uh, the, uh, the essence of the good relationship uh, goes into uh, this, this uh, reservoir of, of relaxation. And we know now how much important, how important in the Buddhist teaching uh, faith, not belief, faith is. Uh, it's called sadda in the uh, ancient tradition, in Theravada tradition. It's called maybe uh, bodhicitta of aspiration in, uh, in the Mahayana tradition. It's a, a very important element. Now we uh, uh, the, the, the trust, uh, this primary uh, trust that gets developed through a dharmic rela- relationship become like a, a stove for the fostering of this fundamental trust which goes beyond the relationship. A dharmic relationship, a dharmic marriage has important effects in the area of mutual dependence. It makes mutual dependence more difficult, mutual attachment, mutual possessiveness. Um, there is this um, German psychoanalyst, uh, a former uh, Catholic priest, Eugen Drevermann, and uh, he says it beautifully. You can relativize, minimize the influence and the absolute power of other human beings only when you found your way to God. So, uh, walking on the path of Dharma, being uh, a support in order to avoid mutual dependence, uh, dragging each other down, and on the other hand, helping mutual waking up, mutual um, supporting, of seeing um, that one or both uh, are maybe falling asleep in the coziness of uh, the relationship, just becoming, becoming mirror of mindfulness for the relationship, each one of the spouses. Uh, taking up this function. So mutual waking up instead of mu- mutual clinging. And of course, um, the area, the presence of trust and, and mutual acceptance and uh, the strength 
which this implies, um, makes faithfulness uh, easier. The uh, sensitivity, the natural sensitivity to the third precept uh, is made uh, easier because of the background trust. But of course, easier doesn't mean automatic. <laughs> I, think, um, I think it doesn't take uh, sophisticated spiritual training to understand that in case there is a strong attraction arising, we better exercise active letting go. <laughs> and uh, if we practice, if we are practitioner, you know, this is easier because, for instance, the mind is less proliferating. The mind is less prone to identify with each emotion which, which uh, arises. And this, again, makes things easier, uh, but no guarantee. It would be, uh, it would be a, a, strange, uh, a strange concept of humility, you know, to, to think that we are beyond um, any transgression in this field. There is another possibility, and we might call this first possibility kind of red alarm, uh, risk, high risk. Well, then there is another possibility when the risk is lower, and then we can apply, we can make a specific application of, of metta. In other words, we turn the energy of an attraction, of a desire, into a wish of profound metta, loving-kindness, well-being for the other person. Instead of wanting to own that desire, instead of identifying with that desire or attraction, we uh, turn that energy into a wish of well-being for the other person. It's interesting uh, how we can like uh, wake up to the fullness. Suddenly we can, if we do this, we can wake up to the fullness of the human being that we have in front of us and realizing that we, for a while, we had turned that human being into a thing and you know, and now all of a sudden we uh, are awake to the fullness of, of this human being in front of us. Um, and also we, this way we can get a better understanding of the way attachment solidifies, you know, reifies much more complex realities. But again, we are very much helped by the fact that 
we come from a place of trust that we are being supported by our relationship. So because of this trust, faithfulness to the relationship is easier. But say, suppose we have a very problematic relationship and we force ourselves into uh, avoiding into, you know, maybe squeezing some meta in, 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 in this way. Um, we, we will be um, um, fostering resentment in ourselves. It's as though you could almost hear a voice inside saying, you know, I've, I've given up so many things because of you, and now I, I'm giving up this too. Because, you know, the trust is, is not full, because um, uh, there is ambivalence, there is um, uh, conflict. And so we are not supported, we are not helped. It's more painful, basically. And then there is the area of practicing together, like daily sittings, daily sitting together with some flexibility because we might have uh, different schedules, different work schedules, but certainly it's like a, a strong moment in the family sangha, you know, sitting, daily sitting together. And also uh, doing retreats, either together or, uh, or, or separately. You know, retreats um, can be very helpful because a retreat usually, you know, just if, uh, it's, if it is just longer than one day, it, it shows, it tends to show us so many things, basically everything. And uh, so um, it can be painful, but it can be also very good medicine in terms of um, helping the relationship um, to heal from whatever it is that is lacking. But here again, in case of a, an extremely uh, difficult and problematic relationship, um, a retreat can precipitate a major crisis, can, can be a catalyst for a major crisis. There is a, an apparently paradoxical aspect to the practice of retreats when, when uh, uh, both partners are in the Dharma. And is that the pain, the pain of leaving um, becomes more acute as the years go by, because you know, a good relationship tends to improve, it's a little bit like wine. And, uh, and so it's not that the pain gets less, the pain gets more. But at the same time, the support is there. So the pain is there because of the relationship, and the support is there because of the relationship. 
at the same time. One third aspect of uh, the specific uh, practice, I mean, of practice in the uh, in a specific sense, is exchanging information about each other practice, exchanging feedback about sitting practice, about practice in action informally, but rather frequently. It takes some, some training to learn. You know, one uh, doesn't want to be like very general, like the practice is going well, or, you know. <laughs> um, or uh, since we obviously like to, to confide, to, to talk to our partner, uh, we can like indulge in what is just the introduction. Like we can uh, recount what a difficult day we had. But then this is the introduction. Where is the practice? In other words, then we uh, we we should talk about the way that we've been dealing. Uh, with this difficult day. So it takes some, it takes some learning, but it's very, very important. And, 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 and a great support uh, can come from this periodical uh, exchange, this comparing notes uh, about the practice and about each other practice. One of the reasons uh, for this to be so is that um, a spouse can have a very precise and special knowledge about, uh, about us. In certain important areas, our partner can be the person uh, who knows us better in the world. So um, our spouse can become in a not, not in a rhetorical way, not in a, in a uh, but in a literal way, our teacher, our best teacher. You know, maybe a great teacher has uh, told us um, a number of profound things, but they are not as well as as well tailored for us as things which uh, a partner, a spouse, uh, could tell us in certain, again, important areas of our spirituality, of our practice. So, um, spouse can become our best teacher, and at the same time, this implies mutual receptivity. So, in turn, we can become teacher. And as a matter of fact, when we see that uh, the roles alternate, uh, this is a sign of vitality, whereas fixed roles, like one partner being constantly the teacher and uh, the other partner being constantly the student, that uh, doesn't, doesn't sound as good as alternating, alternating roles. Uh, 
this uh, rigidity in, uh, uh, in this second uh, case. Um, now, in this respect, I don't think we should be afraid of using one specific word, which is the word devotion. Devotion to the relationship. Devotion for the partner. Devotion means uh, readiness uh, to help, readiness um, uh, to be caring in a, in a, in a wholehearted way. Um, so the cultivation of devotion to the relationship, to the partner, is a very important, has a very important role in, uh, in, uh, in the area of a dharmic relationship. Obviously, it, it implies devotion to the dharma as well. Um, I mentioned a few ni nights ago um, a teacher of Vedanta, a French teacher of Vedanta, Arnaud Desjardins. Uh, he says, the only relationship which can be or can gradually become as rich and perfect as the relationship to the guru is the relationship between wife and husband. He doesn't say, in my understanding, that this relationship replaces a relationship with teacher or teachers, but he says that it can be a very powerful uh, spiritual tool. A devoted relationship, a relationship with more, which more and more uh, foster devotion, which goes beyond the uh, uh, individual, the, the individuals. I just want to to read uh, what um, Tibetan Lama Chokinima Rinpoche says about the. Um, the highest possible results of devotion. Why is it necessary to develop devotion and compassion? The moment we feel deep devotion, it, it is possible that our mind becomes totally naked. In that instant, the ultimate wisdom which dwells in everyone can be more easily realized. I can think of uh, stages in this uh, devotion uh, in a relationship. I think in the, there is a spark of this devotion in the initial falling in love, a spark mixed up with a lot of ego we know of. <coughs> Uh, and then there is a, 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 the following stage, which basically means years of, of tending, years of, of nourishing uh, this devotion. Um, and at one point, turning point is when the devotion becomes more effortless. It's as though you know, we've been taking care of the relationship, and now the relationship, the devotion, 
in some ways taking care of us. It's very parallel, very similar to the practice. You know, we, we, we take care of the practice and at one point the practice, so to speak, uh, begins to take care of us. It's like we've been uh, pushing our boat and then the wind is more and more taking care of, of our boat. You know, this is this is why uh, a devout relationship, a devotion in a relationship, a devotion to the Dharma, are so much compatible and and uh, intertwined. So when a, a relationship becomes more and more um, rich in this direction, gets more and more uh, this dimension of devotion, a few important areas in our practice of the Dharma, in our life, begin to be affected. Uh, First of all, the capacity to be more in the present moment because of this growing familiarity with trust and acceptance, and because of the relaxation which comes from that, then being in the present uh, ceases to be uh, such a difficult task. It becomes more accessible because the devoted or devout relationship has a, like a restful dimension, a restful quality, which basically is the opposite of what happens when uh, a relationship is highly problematic, which tends to push us either into the future or into the past. You know, endless talking about uh, the way our relationship used to be or should be or uh, uh, could be, and um, fear of what uh, may happen again or uh, again, you know, future or past, but more difficult uh, to be in the present. The trust in the relationship and trust in the Dharma the the acceptance which is linked with all this and the understanding which comes from this mean at one moment, usually it's gradual, what in this tradition is called nibida. Nibida means basically disenchantment with our compulsion to identify, with our compulsion to harden up, with our judging mind. And simultaneously, attraction for the opposite, for the non-judging mind, or accepting mind, or forgiving mind, or understanding mind. But I, I like the emphasis uh, which is typical of uh, the Theravada tradition on, on uh, Nibida, on being like um, 
disenchanted, not seduced any or less seduced by the incessant uh, identification processes or the incessant uh, uh, pulsation, which is the judging, the judging mind. Not believing in it anymore, or believing much less into uh, the judging mind. Um, not, not feeling the authority, not being victims to the authority of the judging mind, not empowering the judging mind anymore. Being tired, literally, maybe that is being tired of empowering the judging mind. Healthily tired. The equivalent of conversion, of turning round, that this is the meaning of conversion, is called samvega. And samvega is when you really start being um, tired of, of the usual ways of working of our mind, the usual modes, all the compulsiveness, all the suffering, all the um, painful weight of the judging mind. And then there is was a revulsion, a, a, a rebellion, a quiet and firm rebellion inside, which goes into the direction of, of softening up. But it's a turning point. It, you know, it doesn't happen overnight, but gradually and firmly at the same time, there is uh, like a no which grows, no to what is unwholesome, not to what is destructive, unhealthy. In any good relationship, the the effects of the good relationship tend to go beyond the boundary of the relationship. In a dharmic relationship, this seems to be even more true. I think we could put it, to, put it into words, like having a voice inside which says, the same way I've been growing also because of the acceptance from my partner, and the same way my partner has been growing also because of my acceptance, I would like the same kind of acceptance to expand, to reach, you know, its maximum expansion naturally beyond the boundaries of the relationship. Why is it that in a dharmic relationship this is made easier and 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 uh, and uh, and stronger? Because there is 
the cultivation of the altruistic intention, we can call it metta, or we can call it bodhicitta, we can call it in many different ways, but it belongs specifically to the Dharma practice, to the spiritual practice, this constant working at opening uh, this channel. So the benefit which uh, grow from a relationship which is hinged in the practice of Dharma, like can go into this, into this, through this channel into a wider circle. We, we, all that energy uh, flows into the practice, flows into our altruistic intention. So I think that going back to our initial uh, starting point, a relationship, instead of being a locus for the multiplication of desires and fears and aversion, can become this way uh, the opposite, a locus, uh, uh, a place of simplification, and a place of simplicity, and a place of relaxation, which uh, helps both partners to progress inside towards uh, what's called that which is not born and uh, which doesn't die. Can we sit for a while?